God forgave my sin. To share his love as he told me to. He said, freely, freely you have received. Freely, freely give. Go in my name and because you Others will know that I live. There are certain stories that you shouldn't tell when you have guests over. My, my mother would be sure that I, I knew this. You only tell polite stories, happy stories, fun stories. And so if we had had you all over for dinner tonight, this is not the sort of story that I would have picked out to tell to all of you that ends up with someone being punished and in prison. Uh, and so if you are a guest here, know that we are so very glad that you are here. And we picked this out before we knew that you were coming. But there really is some wonderfully good stuff in this scripture. It comes as we've been making our way throughout the gospel of Matthew all throughout this year. We're going to continue throughout Matthew as we head on through Easter. Uh, if you have any interest, and as a reminder to those who are a part of our congregation, we have small booklets out in the narthex that have some additional discussion questions you're invited to pick up and use to explore the scripture throughout the week. It's what we uh, base our weekly Bible study on on Tuesdays at 1 o'clock, um, and we're also adding an additional Lent study uh, Mondays at 7.15 p.m. by Zoom. And we've also added today a small take-home sheet um, that we are giving to the children, also available out by the bulletins, that has some good discussion questions for families of any type and any shape um, so that it can continue discussing this scripture throughout the week to come. Because all of these texts, and perhaps every text from scripture, just has more than we can ever cover in one single Sunday. So we take what we can find meaning and message that is for us this morning and know that there is far more that can still be discovered from it. Friends, let us begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Where is it that we're going? I read a reflection once from a pastor who learned how to see life as a journey from the first church that they ever served. It was in a small rural community some 50 miles north of St. Louis. And as is so often the case in communities like that one all over the country, the pastor encountered a different pace of life there. Days moved in steady and faithful progression without any regard for the sudden shifts of news and culture happening anywhere else in our somewhat frenetic society. Most of the members of that small Lutheran church in this rural community, 50 miles north of St. Louis, would rarely ever travel as far away as St. Louis, and some of them had never even been that far from home. This pastor wrote that in their three years at the church, they never met anyone who was going anywhere so far as the world knew how to measure it. They weren't advancing in their careers or traveling the globe. They lived the same lives that they had always lived and as their families had lived for generations before them. But still, this pastor said, the entire congregation was rife with a sense of journey and most accounted their life a great 
adventure. The pastor once made a visit to a dying woman named Anne, or Annie, excuse me, Annie, who is, uh, and sat with her in the very same bedroom that Annie had been born in decades earlier. It was just down the way from the church building, and in fact, if you peered out the small window there in that bedroom and you looked down the road, you could almost see the church cemetery that Annie would be buried in. Annie and the pastor talked for a time. They reflected on the life that Annie had lived. She had farmed her land. She had raised her children, and she had served her church. She had fought the good fight. And as they talked, the pastor could almost hear Annie saying, what a ride, all the way from baptism in Emmaus Lutheran Church to burial in Emmaus Lutheran Cemetery, all the way from birth on that side of the room to death over on this side of the room. What a journey. It can be hard at times to find the journey when the destination takes us back to where we began. We are a people that love progress in any measurable form, whether it's marking off miles that we've progressed on the map or tasks that we've done on our to-do list, whether it comes in admiration or promotions, whether it hits our bank accounts or counts as a write-off on our taxes. If we can track it, we can celebrate it. But the paths we are given to walk in life cannot always be split out into singular steps and cannot always be measured in miles or in minutes. Like the hiker who walks for miles and miles through the woods just to make a loop and return to where they parked their car at the trailhead, we sometimes return to exactly where we started with very little to show for our efforts, except perhaps that we might be somehow changed for having made the journey. We have long been a people focused on the journey. The earliest Christian community described themselves as followers of what they called the way. It was a name that echoed Jesus' own description of himself as the way to the Father, and also echoed a long Jewish tradition of halakha, which is a word that described the way of life that was taught by the Torah. Because from the very beginning, Our faith has not been a decision to make or a belief to espouse. It has been a path to walk. Though perhaps belief and decisions are trailheads from which to start the journey. But we are a people forever becoming Christians, chasing after Christ along a path that leads us further and further from the things we once knew. Lent, as a season of the Christian year, can help us return our focus to this understanding The 40 days of fasting and preparation can create a sort of spiritual journey that encourages us to release the things of this kingdom and reach for the kingdom of heaven. We might be still sitting in these same pews when Easter comes, or pews very much like them. We might still be waking up in the same bed and going to work in the same place and cooking the same meals and going everywhere and being everywhere that we already were, and yet we might pray that the person we were when we began this journey would not be the same person who returns to the same spot. In our gospel reading today, Peter comes to Jesus with a question about the journey that he's on. He knows he needs to leave where he was and walk down the path of forgiveness. He might need to forgive more than he has been accustomed to forgiving, and he wants to know where the final destination is. Maybe seven times a person, is a good goal in forgiveness? Which we should just pause and say, that's a ridiculous guess. 
no matter how you look at it. I mean, if we're talking minor offenses, forgiving someone who bothers us too frequently or says thoughtless things or is just sort of plain insensitive, well, then forgiving seven times is never going to be enough. Forgiving seven times might not make us through the day. It might not get us through a single half-hour conversation with someone that annoys us. If Peter is the sort of person tallying up forgiveness in moments like that, well, then Jesus should really just tell him to get over himself. But on the other hand, if Peter is talking about significant forgiveness, about pain that has struck us at the core, about people who are not just insensitive, but downright malicious, well, then seven has got to be too many. Jesus doesn't talk about boundaries or what forgiveness really is, though it might be worthwhile to think about that. Maybe forgiveness doesn't mean acting like nothing happened and nobody learned anything. Maybe we can forgive someone while still protecting against future abuse. Maybe forgiveness is the internal work that we have to do on ourselves to release ourselves from resentment, but that restoring a relationship requires both parties to reconcile and work together to understand and decide how to move forward in a whole and healthy manner. These may be very good things to think about, but what Jesus does say is that Peter has to forgive a lot more than seven times over. Maybe seven times seven, maybe 70 times seven, maybe more. Enough that even if he or we are really committed to keeping track, we're still more than likely going to lose count along the way. And maybe that's really the point. That forgiveness shouldn't be so much about keeping track, about how much love we've got left to give before we punish someone in the way we deserve. Because isn't that the question Peter is asking how many times? Seven times? Because once you get to whatever number you set, well, then what do you do after that? Though isn't that kind of where Jesus ends up in the parable that he gives right after this explanation to Peter? The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is something like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. It's not an easy parable to spend too much time with. But if we hurry through, we might come out okay. See, there's a servant with an impossibly large debt, something like thousands or millions of dollars in today's terms. He's just a servant, though, with no way to pay it back. How did he get such a big debt? Don't ask that question. Keep going. There's nothing he could do to pay it back. And the king says, well, maybe I will sell you and all of your family and sell off everything you own to try to settle your accounts, but that's not nearly enough. Don't ask that question. Keep going. The king forgives it. And then what does that little man go off and do? Well, he pins down a coworker, grabs him by the throat, demands that they pay him a couple hundred, couple thousand dollars that they owe him. And when then that guy doesn't have it, well, then our little man throws that person in prison. What a jerk. And then the king hears about it, and then the king has that guy thrown in prison, and doesn't that serve him right? Ah, what a good story. There's the message, right? Don't be like the wicked servant. Know that we've been forgiven a large debt, and so we should forgive others. That's not a bad message. That's actually a very good message. If we take that and we go and we forgive people, that's a good thing. But you've got to move on quickly from this parable, because if you linger anywhere in there, it starts to make a lot less sense. I mean, to start with, nobody in this parable, forgives anybody else seven times over. The wicked servant doesn't forgive anyone at all, which we know. But then there's the king, and the king forgives once and no more. And even then, did he really forgive the servant? 
What kind of a forgiveness is it to release the servant from the financial binds of debt while tying him up with a debt of obligation? Because the king may not say it, but we can hear the terms and conditions that came with that forgiveness. I'll forgive you, the king says, but you better behave yourself or I'm taking it back. You better prove yourself worthy of this forgiveness or I am throwing you in prison like I threatened to do in the first place. And is that the sort of thing that Jesus is talking about? That when the forgiveness runs out, ooh, look out. Jesus says this parable can be compared to the kingdom of heaven. But the more we look at it, the more we might see that it looks very much like the world we already live in, and not any sort of world we'd like to see coming with clouds and trumpets. It might well be a comparison of differences and not one of similarities. Because haven't we already created a society that insists that those who are forgiven their debts prove themselves worthy of it? I mean, we don't fret about the advantages that we give to so many when, we're deci- when we decide that they're the right people to be advantaged. I've gotten a lot of steps up along the way, forgiven things that I should never have been forgiven for. Oh, but then, then we try and pin down those we think don't deserve anything more than to go to prison for the debts that they've incurred, whether or not they can pay them at all. This is the world that we seem to live in, a king and servants and punishment. It could be that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to this, and the differences might be what is so important. It's important to remember that in parables, Jesus tells us we're going to have a hard time with it. We're going to be told them, but have trouble understanding them, have to listen to them, explore them, find one thing today, and then maybe another thing tomorrow, and then something new and different on the third day. There may not be easy answers, and so we should strive not to make it too simple. There's a king in the parable, but that doesn't mean the king is God. And thank goodness, because I don't really like this king. Offering forgiveness and then pulling it back? Wouldn't it have been better for the king to have said, I heard what you did? Did you really want to do that? Didn't you remember what happened to you already? Didn't you want to be changed because you were forgiven and given another chance? Tried hard to set anyone else on a different path than the one that they were on in the first place? This might well be Peter's problem and the problem of everyone in the parable, is that they keep landing right where they started. Peter lives in a world where we count forgiveness, and at a certain point, we just are done forgiving anymore. And then the king comes along, and the servant comes along, and they live in the same world that you can forgive once or twice or six times or seven times, and then that's it, and we're done. And Jesus says, what if you kept counting and counting and then forgot to count anymore? What if the kingdom of heaven was like a place where none of us were keeping track, and all of us just kept forgiving and forgiving? What if we left behind the world that we knew and made a big, long loop and found ourselves changed by the journey? Because we are a people forgiven. Shouldn't that forgiveness change something about who we are? Shouldn't that forgiveness teach us something about who we are, and about what could be, even if it is not 
already. We are a people forgiven, given a glimpse of freedom. What are we doing trying to step back into a world where we're keeping tallies on ourselves or others? Because it goes both ways, doesn't it? It's not just keeping tallies for one another, but we live in the same world that we create for those around us. And so if we're keeping track of anyone else's sins, then surely we're keeping track of our own. And if we're keeping track of anyone else's sins, then we're never going to be able to escape our own. But if we are forgiven at any one point along the way and find it and love it and embrace it, then can't that change everything? Peter comes to Jesus and says, here's the journey that I think I'm on and I'd like to measure how far I need to go. And Jesus just wants to push him off to keep moving. You'll find it when you get there. Just keep going down the path. Because maybe it's not about making singular decisions along the way. Today I will forgive. Tomorrow I will forgive. The next day I will forgive. What if it became a part of who we were? That forgiveness was never a decision, but always the default. That we became a people of forgiveness because we follow a God who forgives. Forgives over and over and over again who forgives us and then forgets what we have done so that there's never a situation when we land before the throne and God on high says, I remember what you did. Have you proven yourself worthy of that forgiveness? I can't even imagine God saying something like that. That's the world that we live in, not the world that is coming. The God of forgiveness has forgiveness running through and through from beginning to end, top to bottom, a never-ending pool from which to dip from, to pour the waters of forgiveness over us all. God's not keeping track. And so why should we? We can make whole journeys, land right back where we began. But wouldn't it be wonderful be different people at the end, living a different world within this one, where forgiveness is what we do, forgiveness is who we are, and forgiveness is what we have been given. The kingdom of heaven is like the world we live in today in the way that it is nothing like the world we live in today. But perhaps, if we count past seven, and count past 77, and count until we run out of numbers to count, and then we keep on forgiving anyway, the kingdom of heaven could be the world we get to live in. Thanks be to God. Friends, I'd like to invite us to continue in worship as we sing our next hymn.